Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome along to episode two of the French Rugby Podcast with me, Tim Groves, ex-Scotland international Johnny Beattie and former France international Benjamin Kayser. And we also have a very special guest coming on shortly. But first of all, let's find out how your week's been, guys, because last week, Benjamin, the wife and kids were at the hotel. You had the builders in. Are they still there or has the hole in the roof been fixed? Full on building site right now, but I actually left for Oxford for a couple of days, so I was fine. I didn't have any issues with the builders. I didn't have any issues with only having one functional toilet being used by 10 builders on a daily basis. does not really fit with the criteria of hygiene for my wife and young children. But, you know, I was all right in Oxford. It was okay. And Johnny, you were working for uh, TV at the weekend, weren't you, on the uh, Clermont Toulouse game? Yep, I managed to get away from my family on Sunday. So I got up to Paris and did the Clermont Toulouse game, which was unbelievable. Uh, crazy game and lots to talk about. I'm sure we'll get into it later, but it was a great game to cover. Surely one of the tries of, of recent years, that game, the, the flip between the legs from... Um from Thomas Ramos. Unbelievable. And again, especially to do it away from home in that kind of environment, it was crazy. So I think an early contender already for try of the season, Antoine Dupont again getting on the end of it, finishing off. And we might get onto a bit more about the game later on, but Joe Takori and Richie Arnold both got red cards. Are you expecting them to be banned for the Champions Cup quarterfinals? Yeah. I mean, in severity, nothing compared to Owen Farrell that we saw in the Premiership. I don't think it's going to be as lengthy a ban well, we thought it'd be lengthy. He's only got five weeks. But I think, you know, for Joe and Big Richie, if they get one week or two weeks, that they're missing that that quarterfinal. So a hard one on Richie because he's going up for a big tackle. He's a huge man and basically just doesn't dip, manages to get shoulder to head. Joe's maybe a bit more silly, reacting, elbowing Fritz Lee in the head. And I think that one might get more. And there's a few other bits of news floating around the top 14 at the moment. Curtly Beale apparently has, has asked to have his own salary cut in line with, with some of his teammates. Have you heard about that, Benjamin? <laughs> Maybe he wants to pay a few rounds to the boys and stuff. It's, I mean, it's a great example. You want to lead, lead with example and stuff and try to show how well you want to contribute to the team. That's awesome. I think what Johnny said is, is, is spot on about the unfortunate, uh, not very severe acts, but then that obviously will have a consequence too. That game was just mental. And remember last week I was telling you that you had to be careful with Clermont had some good um, some good signings. I really believe they're going to bounce back. And I'm a huge Clermont fan. Obviously, my heart is there. But what really pissed me off is to see how 
much how dominant they were and actually how close the, the game was. I think psychologically, it's definitely a win for Toulouse. And I just feel those old demons of not being able to seal the deal and to control a, a dominant um, sort of tempo, uh, obviously ri rising back up. So th that was a bit disappointing. And Cornebille, yeah, fair play. The, the best way to come into a team is to pay a few rounds or to take a pay cut. You know, he's a smart, smart guy. I'm guessing neither of you have, have walked into a dressing room and said, hey, I'll, I'll take 25% less. <laughs> Luckily, we both retired before COVID, so we never had to decide. But, you know, if, if it were to happen, hypothetically, I'm sure we both would now Benji. Mm. No. <laughs> to be totally fair, when, when you've done a few clubs and stuff, and I'm genuinely not being funny, uh, if, you're gonna, if you're gonna play in an unbelievable uh, club and you're gonna tell me, I don't know, who's the best player? But, uh, if you tell me Juan Hernandez in 2007 needs to stay, but we need 20 grand, whatever, I would have given a little bit. You know, it's one of them, like keep a player, Give a little bit of me because it's such a team sport that we need to shine with others. And somebody to keep it with you, yeah, I would have. But as soon as I walk in, or that maybe it's Cornebile was is on an outrageously big money. But otherwise, no. That's the good news. But a bit of bad news as well over the weekend. Anthony Bello uh, did his cruciate in the in the Toulon game. How big a blow is that to them? Because you said last week, Johnny, that you thought they'd struggle already this season. Yeah, it was a really scrap. And we'll get into the games later. But it was a real scrap fest. I think it was 29 or even more penalties in that game. A real typical first round game. And again, sad for him. Real talent, really talented young guy. Again, under 20s world champion with France. So another one for the future. He's already capped. They've got Louis Carbonel, who can fill in and play 10 as well. He's great. So that'll be, you'll have to step up to the plate. But I think now, you know, obviously they've got Esther Beth out injured as well. He did his ribs and went off for an HIA. He'll be gone for a few weeks they're going to have to go out and get a medical joker quickly and get somebody in to help, you know, build some rhythm and get them winning. Cause obviously that first loss will sting. Um, and he's not, uh, not an easy guy to replace. He's hugely talented. So, so not good news for Toulon. Um, and they're gonna to have to do something to replace him fairly quickly. I would say. Well, speaking of Toulon, it's about time we got our special guest on, isn't it? And uh, we've got a big one for you this week, former European player of the year, Toulon legend and England international Stefan Armitage joins us. How are you? Not too bad. Thank you. Thank you for having me. We, we could see the sun glaring through the windows before. So uh, you're obviously loving life in France. Whereabouts are you? How are you settling into Biarritz? Uh, loving it. We're just outside Biarritz at the moment. We're like uh, 20 minutes from the town centre. Uh, I'm living by the beach and you know, just enjoying the sunshine, trying to learn how to surf as well. So everything's going well. And so how have you been settling in, mate, in terms of the club and the boys getting to know everybody? Has it been a good start? Yeah, it's been, it was it's definitely quite tough to begin with. It's just like going to school again for the first time, you know. When you're backpacking, rocking there, you don't really know what you're doing or who you're meant to talk to, where you're meant to sit. So it was, uh, it was a little bit nervous for the first uh, for the first hour, but then the boys were so welcoming. And it was a good win at the weekend to kick off with as well, but um, you're obviously in the thick of it. Yellow card on your debut? Oh, yeah, well... I've had better yellow cards, if, if, that's a, if, that's, if that's a thing to say. Go and talk uh, us through it. I didn't touch him. He, he fell into me, so I don't know. <laughs> that's, well, that's my excuse. I put my hands up. It's my excuse. He fell into me. Are you me. trying to say that French words are now absolutely on the ball every single time? I can't believe you can even start with something that's so <laughs> offensive, mate. Come on. Especially second division. I mean, it's, it's rock and roll, isn't it? Oh, yeah, definitely. It's, um, it's different. Let's put it that way. I've told quite a lot of people, you haven't played French rugby till you've played in Pro Deux. And uh, <laughs> you can see on the weekends when uh, by the, the, the way referees are, just the way the, the rules are uh, different. It's special. 
let's go back to the start then. So you're in Biarritz now, but obviously you you started your pro career in England, but you were born in Trinidad and you grew up playing in Nice for a little while when you were very young as well. So just talk to us about your your early days being born in the Caribbean and then then growing up in the south of France. So growing up, uh, we were only in Trinidad uh, till the age of uh, six and um we were by then we were playing cricket never heard of rugby before we were all about Brian Lara so my uh, dad moved us over to uh, to England for for his work and um he took us to see our first game of rugby which was a uh, Richmond against uh, I think it was Richmond against uh, Northampton when they were in the premiership and uh, it looked it looked kind of fun looked a bit scary because I was I was tiny my brothers were as well like we weren't the biggest guys and uh, just seeing people smack each other it was uh, it was different but then my mom got the good idea to say, instead of smashing each other up at home, why don't you go try and do it somewhere else? So we said, we said why not? And um, since that day, it's, uh, I've loved it. And so talk to us about London Irish then coming through, coming through there. Because I mean, they, their academy has been, been crazy good, hasn't it? There's players everywhere at the moment that, that graduated through that academy. Yeah, I think we've had like all through the academy, London, London Irish and uh, the coaches we've had have been They've looked after us really well. Uh, having Toby Booth, um, Neil Hatley, all those boys around me, it was just a, it was just a great. And you could tell by all the boys who've gone on to Bath, for example, Anthony Watson, um, JJ, Anahan. You know the name goes on. Matt Garvey, Tom Homer. The name goes on, and it's not just a Bath. It's all over, all over the country. It just shows how well um, they looked after you. And we were a massive family at Marish. Obviously, we want to talk to you mainly about your your time in France, but you were capped five times by by England, and things were going well. And then you move over to to Toulon. So, just talk to us about the the motivation behind your moving to France originally, because you've been there for a long time now. And, and was it a frustration with not getting into the England side when you thought you should be? Was that a big part of it? Um, I think it had it had um, it was a bit of everything. Like, so we went on tour to Australia with England, and um, and it, it was tough. Martin Johnson clearly said I wasn't, pretty much I wasn't good enough. Uh, I needed to go away and improve. And uh, for me, wanting to improve, I had to go push myself because I felt, in a way, when I was at London Irish, uh, most weekends, in my mind, like in my mind and my head, I thought I was going to be in the team. And I needed that extra step to make me become a better player. And I got, a, I got an offer to go to Toulon. And it was uh, uh, Philippe Saint-André in he said, listen, you could come out, you're going to be forced choice. And uh, do you mean I wanted to prove to not only myself, but to prove to everyone that I was good enough and, and to get over there and push for a starting, a starting place and so on. So I took the hard step. We gave up everything, me and my wife, and we moved over. And um, I'm glad we did because it made me, it made me the player I am today. And is it true you were told back then when you were taking on that England tour that you were going to be the kind of frontline flanker and then... They just parachuted Lewis Moody back in. Yeah, that was hard. <laughs> it was hard because we got down to Australia and it was like, uh, they were like, okay, you're going to start. You're going to start the, the first test. So everything was going good, like training went well. And and then all of a sudden, like I got called in. It was like, we needed uh, uh, Lewis Moody's experience. So well, I was like, so how am I meant to get, how am I meant to get experience? And it just pretty much, it just stopped like that. So I thought I was going to be on the bench and then they were like, well, we're going to put um, Joe Wesley on the bench because he could cover all three back rows. And I was like, okay, so I've gone from starting to 
to not even playing at all. So it was um, it was definitely a shock, and it was um, it definitely made me wanna like wanna try harder, try to go away and actually become a better player to give. And I always said from that day, I'm not going to give them any excuses not to pick me. And so from there, obviously, you arrived at Toulon. Can you give us a bit of an insight? Because obviously things have changed massively over that time. When you arrived in terms of an environment and the players you were with, from your expectations to what you got there and what you saw, what was it like? Well, it was for me, it was, um, wow, it was uh, an experience. I turned up, some of these guys I used to watch on TV, and I'll be like, you know, it's one of those guys you say you'll never play with. And uh, I just sat in my corner. I didn't say anything for the first like couple of months because I just wanted to keep my head down. Because they had superstars everywhere in every single position. And I think at that point, I knew already at that point, like if Murad wanted to get rid of you, he'd get rid of you. So it's one of those, just keep your mouth shut and just uh, just uh, listen and follow the other guys. So it's, um, it's a daunting place to go to Toulon because as you can see, how many players have come in who's gone through and not stayed very long and just gone on to a different club. So for me, it was just all about um, just getting there and just, and as I said before, it's just trying to give them no excuse not to, not to play me and to train hard. It just came down to like training hard, pushing everyone else and, and learning off the best. I had like Joe, Vinnie Kirk, uh, um, Chris Masoe, uh, Juan Lobby, Joe Lab. I had all these players to learn from. So it kind of helped in a way because it pushed everyone together. We had like a massive, it was, there was no ego with anyone there, even though there was so many international caps. It's just one of those, um, one of those places that everyone tried to help everyone. We became a massive family straight away, I think. And you mentioned him there, Murad Bujanal. <laughs> You're laughing already. <laughs> so you, you obviously did stay. You stayed a long time. So he obviously liked yeah. you. But I mean, how did he woo you to start off with? And, and then how did that relationship develop with him? Were you, were you close? Uh, funny story about that. Uh, not really. Well, he was, he's pretty much, um, well, if you're not South African, like you're, you're not his number one. <laughs> or Johnny, you're not his number one. But funny story about Murad, because first of all, he didn't want me. I got uh, picked by uh, Philippe Saint-André because um, we did that Media Olympic. Um, what, was, what year was it? It was in 2000 and, 2014. I got some award for Media Olympic and um, so everything's, everything's gone through. Um, they got, gave me a couple of prizes and then Murad took the, the, the microphone at the end to give a speech and he was, his start of his speech was, uh, well, Stefan Armitage, um, I never really wanted you. I wanted James Haskell. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> everyone in the crowd was like, oh, thank you. This is meant to be like, you're meant to be saying, um, you're meant to be saying well done to me, but you just like, Okay, you wanted James Haskell. And it was just it was just one of those things with uh, Murad. He will say whatever is on his mind and he doesn't mind who's in front of him. And that's the that's the way he is. So I kind of tried to stay out of his way, to be honest, for the six years I was there. All right, I've got I've got to, to say something now because you guys are being way too nice. I mean, <laughs> he's made twenty thousand people week in, week out in Clermont have nightmares, eh? Yeah. He's basically <laughs> bursted my heart. But you are being humble because you said that you, you're almost like starstruck. But you, no, but you were you were killing it. Huh? You 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 rocked up in that Toulon team, and from the, from the start, you guys were all killing it. It was, it was a monster team that was in front of us because I was mainly on the receiving end. But um, I, I honestly I hated you boys. I hated you boys <laughs> for a long time just because the pain that you inflicted. 
but then, absolutely <laughs> but then but then the actual the, the reality is once you start knowing like a guy like fred michelak that i oh, know yeah. pretty well yeah. so when he tells you for instance you know how how, how your brother for like a, a silly little reaction became sort of a hatred of French rugby and especially of Clermont. Then if, French, if Fred Michelac tells me, listen, I'm telling you off the field, he's a top dude. That means he's a oh, top yeah. dude. That's he all is, it yeah. means. Yeah. I, do, I do believe that um, the, the, one of the reasons why that reaction was so harsh is because everybody was jealous of Toulon. You guys were smoking everyone. You know, you, you love to hate the ones who are good, basically. Yeah. You want to lo love the underdogs. Is it true that there was a sort of, a, you guys used almost Morad, like, let him do his little sh his show. Let him do his thing. Let him do his, his crazy press conference. At least nobody's b bothering us. And so you guys concentrate on being, having a big brotherhood and rocking it every Saturday. And, and, and then, but even the big boys would be like, you know, the example was he does a pilu pilu every time you guys won big games in the changing rooms. And even a guy like Johnny Wilkinson, who's probably like, the classiest dude you could find would be like, just let him do his thing. He's like, yeah, okay, well, he's done. All right, can you leave us now? Okay, good. And then he would actually talk. Yeah, I think with that, especially with Murad, is it's kind of we knew he was always going to be there. Like he was always going to be the changing room. So just keep him happy, let him do what he's got to do. And it's true, like no one, no one else bothered us off. So he takes all the he takes all the thing, whether we're playing well or not. He will take everything. He'll go in front of the media. He will talk. Uh, He'll do all his stuff on uh, social media and stuff like that. So, in a way, it helped us to it helped us to become a become a better team because we didn't have to worry about that. But it's true, like some of the guys, we would think, oh, is he going to go? Like, why is he still stood there? We want to kind of do our own thing with us, just the just the boys. He's just one of those guys. Like, you couldn't really say you couldn't really say no to him because you don't know what reaction you're going to get. It's like you back a line up in the corner, you don't know what you're going to get. He's going to attack us somehow. So we'd rather just leave him to it. And if he's always lurking like that in the change room, is is he like that on nights out as well? Is he there like in the background thinking? Oh well, we've only had we've only actually had him like once on a once on a night out, and he just actually was in Paris. Uh, it was in Paris after one of the finals uh, before he went to bed with both trophies. He just ended up buying a whole load of bottles uh, for the boys, and then he took off and went to bed sleeping with both trophies. So it was. We don't really spend time with him, to be honest, which is, which is good. Is it also true that Morad once left you all in Oyonnax? Oh, you wanted to? Well, so, yeah, we, it, was, let's play, it wasn't our best game. And um, he told a, a team manager, he was like, cancel the plane. He was like, cancel the plane. I'm not paying for the plane to get home. And we were like, hold on, how are we going to get home? And it was like, you take the bus or the train. It's like, that's miles away. Catching a bus from Oyonnax or a train We've got no tickets. We've just got all our stuff. So it was like, oh, so team manager, so everyone like kind of stuck up to the team manager. I'm like, you can't do it. So we end up taking the flight back, and um, like all the the team manager and the other guys, they got called into the office, and he was like, I don't want you guys at the club anymore. You guys could go, and that somehow got sorted out. I don't know how it got sorted out, but he was deadly serious about leaving us. And all you know, it was snowing as well. It was cold. He is a special guy. So, I mean, he was a special guy, but obviously as a coach for your time at Toulon, you had Bernard Laporte. So just talk to us a little bit about, I mean, obviously he's been a politician, he's been a national team coach, he's at Toulon. There were, there were obviously rumours that Johnny led most things, Matt Gitto led most things, but just talk to us about Bernard Laporte and what he was like as a coach and as a man as well. Yeah, okay, so Bernard as a coach, um, 
to me, still one of the scariest looking person I've like I've met. <laughs> like a bald head, small glasses. He looks like one of those nutty professors. And I've I've always said it. And every time he gets mad, he gets like a red vein. He gets a red vein that pops out. It's, it's just like the most freakish thing ever. But he wasn't as a coach. He was quite good to us. So he and he always put it from the start. It's like if you guys train hard, you play hard. Like listen, you guys could you guys could do whatever you want. Um, but the moment that you guys don't perform on the weekend or you don't put your hand up, then we're going to have words. So most of the time that drove, that, that drove everyone to actually to give um, their best every single time. He was quite hard on the Frenchies, on the, on the French boys. He gave them a lot. Let's, let's put it that way. He had a few crying boys every now and then at training. But um, for us, for us, he wasn't, he wasn't too bad because maybe, I don't know, he just liked us more, I think. The foreigners. <laughs> just, just imagine the type of character that you needed to coach a squad like that, huh? You, oh yeah. I mean, he yeah. will never. I don't think he ever taught you anything in your tackling technique or even strategy in general. But like you said, he's the only guy you would never take the piss out of. No. He would walk into a room and he would scare the Bakisbota to the yeah. to the to the Johnny and whatever. But imagine the quality of squad. Do you reckon any coach would rock up and explain to them how to do things? No. But you need to have a big set of balls enough, basically, to rock up and to actually you know, keep, keep them under control considering Toulon is a hell of a place to actually live <laughs> in, on top of that, you know, and it's an eccentric sort of town. So that's why the fit was just so good. You needed the crazy guy to be on top and to let the monsters in, in, in the middle sort of do their thing. And I think, to be honest, and that's what he did most of the time. So he knew he put, he put quite a lot in our places when we needed to. And like even coming in after doing a long bus trip from uh, Claremont, I think we lost to we lost to you boys and um that we took the Finally, bus. Finally, the ones. <laughs> the ones. <laughs> and we took the bus back and we got back. I think we got back at like four o'clock in the morning. And um he was like meeting at eight. We were like, wait, we've just come off the bus. He goes, I don't care if you guys are not happy, you can go play for Kakaran, which is a team around the corner. We we're like, whoa, this is okay. So everyone rocked up. It was like, oh, he was going, and he just literally started pointing. Your shit, your shit, your shit. Just everyone. He goes, you guys should not be playing. And then, like, occasionally someone will start laughing and he'll be like, oh, if you want to go last, you could go play for La Seine or someone like that because they want you. I don't want you. It's like, whoa, okay. It's just... And then everyone, that's the point, and everyone just started looking at the ground. and was like, oh, my God, why do you rants for, like, you just go for, like, half an hour saying how rubbish everyone is. Sometimes we needed it because it worked and the week after we won, so it worked most of the time. I always remember when I was in the, in, in the French team with Pascal Papé and when they walked up into the, into the tell, tell me if it reminds you of Bernard Laporte, but we walked up into the, the, whatever, the team room and he wasn't coach at the time, but he was just there hanging around and he was there with the scrummaging coach. He's like, Pascal, Pascal, come and push this fridge. I said, what are you talking about? Just push this fridge. And Pascal Papé starts, you know, just gives a little fridge, uh, a, a nudge to the fridge. He's like, he looks at the scrummaging coach, see? Feet not on the same line. That's why he shit scrummager. And then just left the room. <laughs> Those are the little mind games that he would play with you out of nowhere. You just come in to say hello, you know, and the guy's like, oh, put, just push a fridge. It's fine. Just push a fridge. And bang. And just abuse you with everyone. And then what's fuck off and do his own thing. That is 100%. That's 100%. And he did it with a, I get me wrong, he did it with nearly everyone. Did it with Bacchus as well. Like, just, just like, well, I don't know. If, well, he said he was joking, but I don't think he was joking. Some of the things you say to Bacchus, because then Bacchus would give him a look. It was like, oh, okay, <laughs> uh, maybe not. <laughs> Let's just like walk away. But yeah, he's 
he loves to take the piss out of the guys and um, he'll give as good as he takes, to be honest. You mentioned before that that team that was so successful at that time, it was like a brotherhood. There was a, a close bond. Given that they were all such superstars, like how was that bond forged? Was it was was something done or was it just naturally? I think it was just it was just naturally. I think because most of the guys came over and they wanted to show. Because if you look at quite a lot of the players, they came when it was coming near, near or near about near the end of their careers, what, a couple of years. So... They most of them wanted to prove to everyone that they still had it. So they were like going out. It was not like quite a lot of people saying we were mercenaries and stuff like that, but that's not at all what it was. We actually wanted to play and we came out and we gave everything like 100% every time. And it was just all about not letting down the guys. You look up to these guys. And that's the thing with Becky's who was like, I'll, I want to lead the way because I know there's, there's thousands and thousands of kids who want to be in my position, who look up to me as me being their inspiration. So by me not going out there every single every single game, every single training session and giving 100%, it means I'm a letdown and I don't want to be a letdown. I've got kids, so I can't do that. And it's just the same. And that that actually got passed on to everyone. So everyone was kind of the same thing. They're doing it for the guy next to you because you don't want to let those guys down. It was like when you take someone's place in the team, it was you, you've trained better. You trained better than them. Maybe you played the better game than them. So... If you play, if you train harder and you play a better game, you don't want to take their place and then not perform, because that means you're letting down that guy who wants to play as well. So it's kind of it's just kind of a thing where you're always pushing to be, always pushing to be the best, and also having Murad in your back saying I could buy, I could bring someone else in if you don't perform. So that was always on everyone's mind anyway. So that was another that was another factor that helped you push to us to to gel quite quickly. In spite of that pressure, though, that was on your shoulders, I remember speaking to Roy Lamont, who's out there with you as well, with Joe Van Nico, yeah. and he said, you, as a group, you had a good laugh. Like, you were also a good bunch of mates. So as much as it was this pressure cooker, and when you arrived at Mayol, it was absolutely mental and a great place to play rugby. But those boys also explained, away from the pitch on, like, a Tuesday night, you also managed to go out, have a few beers, like, Tuesday night club. <laughs> you had a good group of friends, and you had a good time together. Yeah. Should I be saying this? Uh, yeah, it's <laughs> Hey, Tuesday and like that's when we first came out. They said Tuesday was like a, you know, it's like a casual day. You could you could have a couple of beers, day off on a day off on Wednesday. You just relax. And what do you do? There's not much. There weren't much around in Kakiran, so we were like, okay, we'll go. We'll go have a have a couple of beers and just uh, enjoy it. Like, and most of the time, it'll be everyone. Like, everyone will turn up and we'll all be together. Like, when we're not training, we always try and do some things together, like barbecues or. We used to have like go-karting leagues and stuff like that. So it's like loads of different things that we actually did to make sure that we know each other well enough to, to be able to say like we're brothers because some places, like some different clubs, it's kind of, you could tell that there's a divide in the team. And that's what we didn't want to tool on. And um, we tried to do everything together. And given Johnny's mentioned the Tuesday nightclub now, there's there's a couple of names around that time that were in that squad. They've retired now, so you can talk about them. We, we, we'll say that you had two beers and went home, but the likes of Martin Castro Giovanni, <laughs> Drew Mitchell, there's a few uh, others. Um, go on, yeah. talk to us. There must be some stories. Uh, I'll tell you one. Like um, one of my really good mates, um, Dean Schofield. So after we finish our finals, after we won the double. Uh, in Paris, we got the we got the plane back, and they were setting up a parade uh, where you take the boat, uh, the bus, and you go to the mayor's office, and like you just celebrate. There was like a hundred thousand people in the streets. They closed everything, and um, 
we got back and everyone was like, oh, we'll just go get changed, change our T-shirt. But myself and Dean Schofield decided to go for one drink before we went home. And French people being French, like we won, so they started just giving us drinks after drinks. And then um, obviously not checking the time, um, looked up on the TV and I was like, I was like, Scoey, it's good that thing last year. It's awesome, isn't it? Like, and they're coming in, <laughs> they're, they're coming in on the boat, and I was like, "Yeah, that's awesome." And then he looks at me. He's like, "Why does it say live on the? Why does it say live on the TV?" <laughs> I was like, "Oh my god!" Looked at the time. It's like, "Oh my god, we missed, we missed the bus, we missed the boat, and the Mister Mayor's office." So we're like, "Oh my god, how are we going to get there?" There's no taxis. And then uh, we walked outside, and there's this where we were. It's like in the in the Place de Toulon, where there was like 70,000 people waiting. We're like, oh, what's going on here? And then the bus pulled up. So the bus pulled up. We just literally just ran and just got behind everyone and, and then got on stage and everyone was like, where the hell were you two? We're like, <laughs> had no so we missed the, So we missed the whole thing. It was just, and it's, apparently it was a great experience. I got videos there, so it's all right. I want to step back. You, you were really humble a minute ago when you were talking about the awards that you won in 2014 and like you were obviously European Player of the Year as well, which was insane. But at that time, you still weren't being picked up by England. What were the conversations that were going on behind the scenes that obviously we didn't get to see or didn't get to know about in terms of the coaches you were talking with, the national setup with England? What was actually happening? How much dialogue was there back and forth with you and the English setup? We had, um, who came out? One of them came out to see me. Was it, was it Sri Lanka sir? Um, Sri Lanka came out to see me in Toulon and he came and he wanted to speak to myself and my brother together so I knew it wasn't going to be like anything if you want to speak to us together it's because we're complete different players we're not in the same position or or we're not in the same not in the same place so uh, and he just told me by then like I have to come back to England if I want to if I want to play and he asked me what did I think about it and I pretty much told him I feel like you guys told me to go away to become a better player. And I did that. And I still think I'm improving. I still think I've got a lot to learn. And by being out here, I'm getting better and better. Um, every every training session, every every time I play, I'm getting better. So why would you want to take that away? Why would you want to take that away from me? And um, so he just he just agreed and he just took off. He just went, he just went back. I didn't hear anything. And then I've got a phone call from... Uh, from like obviously the RFU, Bath and Toulon, they were organizing for me to go back to Bath for, for six months to play in Bath so I could be. And obviously when it comes down to that, then it comes down to money. But I wasn't involved with any of this. That's the thing. That's the funny thing about it. This was all happening between both managers of Bath and the Bath and Toulon. So I didn't really have much of a say in anything that was going on. But at one point, my wife did pack my bags for me to leave to go to bath so she was staying though but you were off yeah she was staying she was gonna <laughs> she was gonna she's gonna pack up and just enjoy the sun and pack up the house but you know i mean it was just one of those that like i was never really involved everyone else was talking everyone else was talking about it behind like without me they were trying to sort things out without me like without me having a say and it was just stressful it was a stressful time but um listen i've got no regrets so I can't believe, honestly, that top coaches would not take in consideration just your pure happiness. You were renowned in France because you were incredible over the ball. 
But you have to admit that in France, it's, it's a national sport, the, the rucks, you know, so you can actually have a crack and have a go. So it fitted perfectly what you did. Then you had sort of the guys in Toulon that would do the other stuff for you, but they just told you, listen, make an absolute clusterfuck of all the rucks for the, of the opposition, obviously what you were exceptionally good at, but there's also your happiness, just like you said, you yeah. enjoyed the Tuesday night, you enjoyed the lifestyle, you enjoy the, the vibe around the team. Do you th I mean, I think it's incredibly reductive just to, to be like, right, well, you're doing this now, now we can just pick you up drop you somewhere yeah. and expect you to do precisely the same thing, especially behind your back. Yeah. That makes no sense. And to me, it's like, to me, one of the main things as well is obviously like, um, when we first came out of France, so my, my missus left her job and stuff like that to come out of here. And I couldn't, I can't just do that again, just to pick up again and then move back on a, on a, like a hunch, maybe I might play, maybe I might not. And as you said, like the lifestyle in France is different. We, we love it out here. Um, Just, 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 just the way how life is. It's not so rushed that you get in England. Um, the training is not as it's different as play that way. You know, it, being at Leicester, you know the difference. And uh, yeah, they look up, they look after you here in France. Not saying they don't look after you in England, but I'm just saying it's different. Yeah, I just, I just enjoyed my rugby here, and I was loving rugby because when I left England, I pretty much got to the point where I kind of fell out of love with rugby when I left London Irish and uh, coming over to France just just changed everything I, was, I actually loved I actually started loving rugby again I loved going to training just being in that thing you being after training where you sit in a changing room and you're just chatting with the boys and stuff like that you just you get that feeling when you don't love it you just want to get to training you leave straight away you wake up in the morning you're sad and that's what kind of what I was getting when I was London Irish my last year and over here it's, it's just yeah I just loved it too much I think to, to actually really consider actually going back to England And can you see why that that rule? Obviously, everyone knows why that rule is in in place. But when when you're kind of the center of that, and all the headlines are around you, you're the most high profile example, really, of them trying to drag you almost back to England. Like at that time, can you see why it's like that, or are you so frustrated and you're thinking that this is a global game and players should be allowed to play abroad? Yeah, I think it's a I think it's a global I think it's a global game. Everyone should be should be allowed to to play where. What do you think? Because quite a lot of people think straight away, oh, your first thing that you're going to France is because you're chasing the money. That's not at all what it is. Yeah, okay, there is a lot of money. But when I first, for example, me, when I first moved over, I moved on the same money I was on London Irish. I moved there because of the challenge. They told me I was going to be number four. I was going to be number four, number seven. So that means I had to wait. I had to wait my time. But I was like, okay, that's a challenge for me. Do you know what I mean? This is something you're lifting up. You're taking your whole life and you're moving across country whether it works or not, so many players have come over and it's not worked out and they've come back and they've just, and they just hated it. Look at uh, Gethin Jenkins. He was like one of the, he was like my mate and he was like one of the best props in the world. He came over and it, it just wasn't his thing. He played, he played a few games, but it wasn't, just wasn't, it didn't suit him. Hence why he went back. But it's not just him. There's a, there's a lot of players that happen to, and we should be credited for actually taking that, like uh, taking a chance to actually come out there and fight for something. And like, I'm not the only one. Nick Benedon as well. He has been outstanding at Claremont. He's been, he was outstanding for like four years straight. Every single, every single game that he played, he was outstanding. But he was in the same position as me. So it's like we had, we had a couple of conversations about it. And yeah, we both found it really hard. It was more frustrating than anything because we just thought like, um, I'm saying we were the best in that position, but... Everyone that, they, everyone that they put in front of us who they thought was better in that position 
we gave them we gave them a good game or we were superior to them. So it's just frustrating to know that all the hard work you're doing it doesn't in a way it doesn't pay off. And you mentioned the the conversation with Stuart Lancaster. First of all, did did Eddie Jones ever get in touch after after he became England coach? And then with that conversation with with Stuart and with other coaches, maybe or people at the RFU, did they ever kind of take your point of view across the way that you're telling us now? And, and was there any kind of dialogue? Did they get what you were saying, or was it just the doors shut unless you're back in England? Yeah, it was pretty much the, the shut. Like they don't want to make any exception, and uh, which I mean, they said like you've made your you've made your bed now, sleep in it. So I was like, okay, yeah, I'm just. Okay, I'm just gonna. I will become. I will become a better. Like I, and as I said before, I tried to give them no excuse not to actually pay me, not to pick me. And um, well, it's it's obviously they still had that. They still had that one. So, but listen, it, it made me. It made me who I am. Made me who I am now. And um, in a way, like I kind of got to say thank you to them as well. Do you know what I mean? In a way, because it has helped me to has come, helped me to become a better player. I remember reading that you were quite close to actually changing allegiance. You'd obviously talked about having a huge affinity for France, the lifestyle here, the people. And at one point, there was reports, you know, Chris Massoy wanted to get back, play Pacific Islands rugby, Joe Rococo, and potentially you as well. We're looking at trying to play for the French team. Was that something that seriously crossed your mind? Were you exploring it at the time? No, because, well, Bernard Laporte, obviously, uh, he said, like, maybe I should because you deserve to. You deserve to play international rugby. And, uh, and at that point, it was just got, it was kind of like, oh yeah, do you know one of those after having a couple of drinks, yeah, um, why not? So we'd actually start um, uh, the thing because I wanted a French citizenship anyway because obviously living in France and stuff like that. But and I looked back, at, I looked back on everything, and it was like my greatest honour in in rugby is having played for England with Dylan at Twickenham on our together for my first test. So by me going going away and playing for a different country, that means, I mean that means nothing. So it was a thing that just just went one in here and what straight out the other. It was never a thing where, oh, this is going to happen or we want this to happen. It was just like people gossiping about should he or should he not. Um, I'm glad. I'm glad I I didn't I didn't perceive that uh, that because those those five caps still means. Uh, still means a lot to me and obviously being at Toulon at that time from an English perspective everything was about Johnny obviously it probably wasn't quite the same in in France but you mentioned it earlier on that he was the golden boy for Morad for for everyone was that was that great for the rest of the guys because the focus was all on all on Johnny and what was it like sharing a dressing room with him what was he like as a leader bossing you around oh he was uh I can't like I can't imagine like he said I was watching him on TV. Then I had a chance to play with him, play with him, and um, play with him in England. And uh, it's um, one of those guys in the changing room that you just, for the first like ten minutes when you get in the changing, you just stare at him. You don't know what you're staring at, but you're just staring at him, thinking like, "Oh, this is this is Johnny. It's like he's my mate. <laughs> he's my mate. How many people can say that? And uh, it's just like seeing the way how he prepares himself, like every single time the routine he goes through to show everyone how actually professional he is and how he is just driven every single time. It's actually amazing. Like his speech will actually get you up. It's like it, whether sometimes when it's French and English, he gets a bit mixed up and you have a little giggle, but you know what he's saying. And like he, he gets everyone fired up and 
most of the time is like because everyone loved Johnny and everyone respected him so much. It's like when we went out, when every time we went out of the game is one of those I don't wanna I don't wanna let Johnny be angry at me. So I've got to play my best game. I know it's weird. I know it's weird saying that, but it's Johnny, come on, he kicked the he kicked the drop goal for England to win the World Cup. So it's you gotta give it you gotta give it to him. Now he's a he's a top bloke and he's got a full backing of the whole team and he's he's the one who led most of the training session in the backs because what can you teach him? That is the thing. That's why I I sit back now and say, what can you teach those players? Like the players like Carl Heyman, Johnny, Beckys. And you were right when you were saying, like, to get a coach to come in and try and coach us. No coach and ask those players. So and Johnny was leading them. You can't even teach him to tackle? No, because he tackled Even that, he does well. <laughs> <laughs> he was teaching me how to kick, though, so I find myself a good kicker now, so it's all right. Johnny obviously had a, a special relationship with Matt Gitto when he was there as well. And w- was that kind of, obviously you spoke about Johnny leading everything, but I, I think Matt Gitto has spoken about it in the past about how it was perfect for him because Johnny did everything and Matt was the freedom. But I mean, in terms of being a forward with those two behind you, it must be the perfect situation. Oh, it's brilliant to be honest. Um, especially being at number eight as well, where where I get to give them the ball most of the time. It's a, uh, but Johnny is uh, Johnny is uh, the safe guy, the guy who he will always make his tackle. He'll put the ball in the right position, and then you've got Gitter who will just out of the blue just do something crazy. So having that having that having that relationship to know like how they work together because they knew each other back to back, like they know each other how everyone how they play, and it's um, that's why most of the time like we controlled like we could when they played together it was. It was frantic, but it was controlled. It was controlled frantic, if that makes sense. So we had Fred Mishlak as well, who's a complete different player to both of them. The name goes on, like by the way, 10, 10 and 12. You <laughs> can see Benjamin's face. No, but I tell you, they're the only team who, they already, already had all those guys in the play in 2015 Champions Cup final, and they only chuck in Juan Hernandez last minute as medical joker. <laughs> I'm like, come on, that's just taking the piss. He was a, and he, he's, the, he's a hell of a player who can oh. play any position. He's honestly, he's the, he's the best player. I've, I never played with Johnny and all that, but he's the best player that I've ever played with in 2007 when he first made it. And he was the best 15 in the world who every day said he wanted to play 10. Like it made yeah. no sense to me, but he was by a mile the best player I've ever seen. He could, a bit like Johnny, could do anything and could smoke a guy in a tackle. He's the most skillful player. Like you see some of the things he does, the little chips, the little pass at the back and, Sometimes I'll just look and I'll just watch them. I'll say, okay, oh, I need to catch up and get to the rock. But that's what you used to get, right? Even like Quaid Cooper as well. He came over. He didn't really have, he didn't have the best time, but um, he came over and uh, he performed. Uh, Nico Sanchez, oh, it goes on, the names goes on. So there was a lot of, lot of 10, but Johnny is, he's, in my mind, he'll always be, he'll always be the best 10 I've played with. And one of the guys who, drove too long to become uh, the team we, uh, we were back then. Funny enough, you mentioned Hernandez, Nico Sanchez and stuff, but the salary cap is never one of the strongest assets, right? <laughs> it's never like one of the biggest things. <laughs> we're all on 100 grand, that's it. Exactly, with, with, with <laughs> staying in top 14 bonuses of 200. I mean, fair play. You got to give it to him. You got to give it to him, Pujilal. He actually never, oh, well, never, I don't know, but he almost never cheated. He just twisted the rule because it was it was a shit rule. 
He just, yeah. whenever you gave him a rule, he just found all the different tweaks. But who doesn't opt, uh, optimize their, their, their tax? Everybody does. Well, he just did it <laughs> a million times better than everybody else. Yeah, I can't say. I don't really know how he did or what he ever, what he ever did. But to get the players he did, I think he, there's, something, there's something about him. Whether, whether, you like him or, whether you like him or not, it's like Marmite. Either you love it or you hate it. And he managed to get quite a lot of top players over there. Like they got Joe Van Niekerk to come over there when they were in uh, Prodi 2. So that's saying something. And he was like, like not long after that, long, long before that, he was voted the player of the year. But that's the international player of the year. So it just tells you something of the, uh, uh, what kind of person Murad is. And he did the best to get the, the best team he could. Uh, to achieve what we did. So some place you've got to say, okay, fair play to him. So I don't want to bring a, another downer on things, but you mentioned how when you came to the end of your time at London Irish, obviously you were not enjoying your rugby. And then I think you mentioned that towards the end of your time at Toulon, Morad was linked with the fact that you were not liking rugby at all. So just talk to us about how that kind of panned out and, and kind of what led to you moving and, and, whether you got reinvigorated after that. Yeah, well, um, it's the same. Like, I just started falling out. We, um, quite a few players left, um, guys who actually who drove the team. And uh, for me, it just started getting to the, the same way um, where I, I felt like I'd achieved, I'd achieved everything, everything that I, that I could at Toulon. So I wanted, I wanted more. I'm a guy who always want more. So... For me, um, I thought the best thing is for me to move on and try and create history with someone else because because that's why generally that's why we play rugby. We want to we want to leave we want to leave a benchmark everywhere we go. So he kind of he kind of um, saw that and uh, he actually offered me three more years to stay, and um, I was like, I've got to be true to myself, and and I always said the moment I stop loving the the sport that the sport that I love that that I've like trained all my life for and um, I always say like if I don't if I fall out of love with it I need to move on or stop and I don't think I want to stop there because I still knew I had a lot left in me so the best option was to move and I had a few offers to go a few places um Toulouse, Lyon, Montpellier. Clermont was one of them as well. But I didn't want to go to Clermont because there's only like uh, only tyres and the, the Michelin man. So apparently <laughs> it's pretty dead there. So See, these, those little cliches that when people don't know, eh? it's fine, it's easy. We didn't definitely did not have the, the same lifestyle as in Toulon. But even though we, we didn't show it, when we lost to Toulon, it's because we clearly got beaten by better. So there was, at the end of the day, it was always about respect. And I always feel that the 2015 uh, Champions Cup final in Twickenham is the first time in my life I got bullied. They weren't particularly better. They never created anything, but just, it was just tough fuckers. Well-deserved title. So there's, it's not a problem. You could have come to Clermont, mate. I would have got a glass of wine for you. No problem. Should have. But I, like I decided to go to a post so with Carl. Carl Heyman told me to... Um, he said, come with me, we're going to create something different. Like, they've got a new project. And I always wanted to go somewhere different. I knew all the Toulon boys went to Lyon. And it was, uh, to me, it was just, it would just be me moving, same thing. Like, do you know what I mean? Toulon to, Toulon to Lyon, all the players there. So 
I wanted to separate myself and literally go to somewhere completely different where I could actually go start again and not not be comfortable. I just wanted I wanted it to be difficult, and Poe was that uh, that choice for me. And you were there for a few years, so now you look back on it and you mention those offers that you had from Toulouse, Clermont, Lyon, uh, and, and what those clubs have done in the past few years. Are there any regrets there at all, or do, are you happy with the decision you made? Yeah, I'm happy with the decision. Uh, definitely happy with the decision. So no regrets, whatever I've done in my career, because we actually got from like Poe from being uh, promoted uh, from Poe to 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 just about staying up in the top 14 the year after and missing out by one point uh, in my first two years. Do you know what I mean? It's, uh, it was something massive for the club because they've never been they've never been um, they've never been that close to that close to it. So. I think we did have something good. We had a great bunch of uh, great bunch of players, not particularly big names, but a lot of players who had a lot of fight and who who wanted to play who wanted to play rugby because they loved it, and uh, that's why I like that's why I enjoyed it, and I'd uh, I never I wouldn't have any regrets on it. Obviously, you're now in Biarritz, but you were going to go over to America to the yeah. the sun and the sand of uh, of California as opposed to the south of France. So um, that was going to be San Diego Legion. I think they've signed Chris Robshaw now. Yeah, Chris um, Robshaw, Eddie Jones is going there as well. I think. Yeah, as a consultant. Um, yeah. I mean, obviously you're in a good place now, but in terms of how that move kind of fell apart, was there is there any kind of ill ill feeling there at all, or are you just really happy to be at Biarritz? No, not at all. And I'm like. I've got loads of mates over there. Like uh, I got my I got my honor to go over there. And do you know what I mean it's uh, something different? Maybe in a few years' time, when it's a uh, when it's the league is uh, a lot more uh, accomplished, when it's uh, better. But at the moment, I just feel it's like you don't know which way this which way the league's going to go. You are getting like good players going over there, but I'm so glad decision was to to stay in uh, to stay in France because. They again are finding the love of rugby again, and uh, yeah, it's um, it's in it's enjoyable. And in terms of the project they've got going on, obviously you've come down, big name Francis Saili as well, Henry Spate. You know, some big investment. What are the expectations from the board, from the president Al DJ, who's come on board for this season? What are your hopes and what are you aiming for this year? Oh, well, he called me into the office. He's like, "Listen, there's only one." outcome to this and we're champions in top 14 otherwise you're gone I was like oh, what hold on take that back <laughs> it's, like, it's like listen we've got a two-year project and that's going to be that's going to be us getting up to the top 14 new stadium new uh, facility and stuff like that obviously there's um stuff going on with uh planning and stuff like that but, uh, him trying to get the permission and stuff like that so I don't really know I don't really know the ins and out about it but I know there's a massive, massive project to. They want Beerus to become the Beerus of 2000 and what was it 2011? Is it before they went down a team who's had all the names and they were an outstanding team? So that's what they want to bring back. They want to bring back a, a team that everyone's proud of and everyone wants to come and see because it's kind of fallen away lately uh, in the past few years and they just want it all to come back. There could be a show written just on Buritz Bayonne. It's the act, it's everything that we want to chat about, honestly, in, in this thing. It's all the myths and, and, and the buzz and the exotism of French rugby. So there's a mix of ancestral rivalry between two sort of neighboring big villages. You can't even call them massive towns, you know, big yeah. villages that hate each other's guts. 
but they don't really hate each other's guts. It's still like rugby rivalry, you know? It's, it's banter that you love. You love that derby and stuff, but they'll still be drinking piss together afterwards, you know? It's got nothing to do with it. But then you mentioned the whole project of Buritz and stuff. I just read, it's just that, for me, that sums it up for you, that the mayor of Buritz was forced to buy her own ticket to come to the game. Yeah. Because she's basically, she's basically, they're being complicated with the planning permission to extend, not necessarily the stadium, but what do you do with everything's around? I don't know the bloke, Aldija, at all. But, um, but I think what he wants to do is create sort of a, an actual real economy behind to support the club, which I think is what every, every club should do instead of, you know, relying on massive sponsors. But then it's who gets the biggest share. Beirut is a small place, yes, but property there is hot, you know, so you got to know what you're doing. And so to the point where he, he sacked a few sponsors, he hates the thing and his politics. And, and But she still comes to the game, but she makes sure that everybody knows that she paid for her own little ticket. You know, it's, that's, that's France for you. That's Beirut for you. Yeah, and I try, I try and keep out of it because I get so many people like asking. So we've got my neighbours. All of them are Bayern supporters. So they saw me move in and they were like, oh, so have you, have you moved to play for Bayern? I was like, no. I was like, why? He goes, oh, we're like a lifetime members of Bayonne. I was like, oh, okay. Uh, with Fabrice and one of them just turned around and walked off. I was like, well, okay. <laughs> like, oh. And then all the others like, ah, oh, but don't worry, next year you can move to Bayonne. But we don't like Fabrice. So I was like, oh, what's the problem? You guys are the same town anyway. And they looked at me, they looked at me like I was crazy. Blasphemy. And that's when I realized don't ever say that ever again. So they're separate and they're se- even though they're touching, they're separate. And Stefan, hopefully you've got a bit more time left playing yet. But obviously, once you get to the kind of age that you're at now, you, everyone's looking at what they're going to do after after rugby. So just give us an insight. Are the family settled in France? Are you going to stay there once you finish playing? And you know, what are you going to do next? Do you want to stay involved in rugby or not? Yeah, I, I think as much as quite a lot of people say, yeah, once I finish rugby, is I just want to get out of it. I don't think I might say it, but I don't think I can. So there will always be a part of me who will get involved in rugby. I want to be a, um, a sports a sports advisor for young young French players, you know, just getting getting themselves set up and just getting on the right track, like kind of like a mental thing, like um, what to think about. Because quite a lot of, quite a lot of young players nowadays they think, oh, life in rugby is is or lasts for ten years, ten fifteen years. When that's not the case, you could have guys who could be on a lot of money quickly and get injured and they're finished and then they don't actually know what they're doing. So then they go off and they have problems with depression. And I don't want to say it, but you, that's why you get quite a lot of young kids committing suicide in, in rugby, in, in not just rugby, in every sport, because they haven't got someone to talk to. And that's the kind of thing I want to do. I want to be that middleman between the agents, between the agents, their club, and them to help them to make just life a lot easier. And, so I could just be there to talk because I have been through quite a lot in rugby. I want to give I want to give back, and I think this is one of the best ways to do it because I think quite a lot of players are just left on their own quite often, and that needs to stop. And is that something that is a role that's already there in lots of French clubs or around France, or is that something that you think you'll have to kind of bang doors down and and develop your own niche? I think there is there is kind of obviously we have Proval in France, but it's not it's not the same because Proval is looking after. They're looking after thousands and thousands of players. Sometimes that one per- that one kid just wants, he just wants like an extra half an hour chat. And there's something like Proval sometimes can't do because they've got so many, they've got so many people to actually look after as well. So it's all about just getting into it and just doing it um, 
not having too many people, but just having the right amount where I could actually spend enough time to make sure that everything is covered and and by the time we finish that meeting, at least like everything is clear. I think that's something we're going to push forward, and and I think there's quite a few there's quite a few guys who I've played with and uh, who are quite keen to actually get involved get involved in that because, as I said before, I just think we need to give back as much as we can because rugby has given us a has given us a hell of a lot, and we need to, we need to give it back. That sounds really good. And thanks ever so much for joining us today, Stefan. Good luck with that post-career. But more importantly first, you better win promotion from Pro Deux, otherwise there's going to be some trouble by the sounds of it. Yeah, otherwise I'm coming to work for you guys, if that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Pleasure. <laughs> Cheers. Thank you very much. Cheers, Stefan. Cheers. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Good guy, eh? And he'll be awesome in that pastoral role as well. If he can set about creating that, he'll do that really well. Did you enjoy that as much as uh, Johnny Benjamin? Some of the, some of those stories about the Claremont Toulon finals back in the day. You didn't look like you were enjoying it quite as much. No, I wasn't. I, I wasn't really enjoying, you know, getting my face rubbed into uh, <laughs> into all, all those disappointments. But to be fair, that's what I said to him. I mean, I spent a long, long time hating their their guts. He was never one of them. He's always been to be his his brother is a bit more of a difficult character. But I changed my mind with his brother as soon as, honestly, Frédéric Michel, I got really close to him. He's like, just dig a little bit deeper. And usually, we should actually have a chapter about this. 
get get a tough mother on, on this show and actually go through the guys that are just diagonally different. Mamuka Gorgadze. You played with him, Johnny? Yeah. He's the meanest shit you could ever find. And he's a ginormous dude. But there's loads of them like that. Loads. Jamie Cudmore. I, I, I love nothing more than to play with him for five years. He's a top dude. Always have my back. Always protect me. But I realized you play against him. Ugh. Just wants to hurt you all the time. And you feel that he is something. It's physical about them. Back his bota. Like I, I feel that he wants to eat my face alive. He has single-handedly the world's strongest handshake. Who, Bucky's? Oh, he broke my hand. After a game, went in to have a beer, either in the change rooms, have a beer with them, or it was the post-match reception, sitting down and said, oh, good game. Crushed. And then ev- everybody in our team, and I think it was Montpellier at the time, said the exact thing. Like, what is that guy trying to do to our hands? And we asked the Toulon boys, we asked Johnny, and they were like, it's everybody. It's not you guys. He just he enjoys crushing people's hands. It's just what he does. If you want to have a laugh, have a look at him on Instagram now. He weighs about 175 kgs. He is huge. And he's like all wearing all those hunting shirts. It, it looks like a tent. Like he, he's basically a walking tent. But going back to your point about Toulon, you almost not love to hate them, but almost jealousy because it was like playing for a club team that was a Barbarians team. Like that team was the best, the best of the best. And it was the best I think there ever was in Clubland. I don't think you'll ever get that type of 15 or squad together again. Nah, it's more than 15, yeah. It was the squad. Exactly, it was 40 of them. Castro never played a game. And then no matter what team you were playing against, you arrived at Mayol, super intimidating place. All those guys, they rocked out whatever bunch of rock stars it was and you knew it was going to be on a huge game. So yeah, some place, great team and Steph was a huge part of it. He was amazing. And again, he's super humble, like saying, oh, one summer, like he was European player of the year he was insane and leading from the front he was some player and he still is i watched him play in that game against perpignan on last thursday i think it was and he was unbelievable again still five turnovers killing it ball carrying distributing one of the best jacklers we've ever seen in france he's he's still top top man he's top top player as well right let's have a look at the weekend's action now in the top 14 um three away wins we we spoke a bit about how strong French teams are at home. Is that at least partly to do with the lack of fans in the stadium at the moment or not? I don't, I don't know what you think, Johnny, but I, I don't really. I was very surprised. Um, I mean, I saw the um, saw bits of the, the Lyon, what is it, Lyon racing game. Lyon are one of the, the league favourites. Huh? They're, 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 they're one of the clubs that have got sort of the hype on them and the right path. And there was still a crowd. It wasn't a huge crowd, but there was still a crowd. Um, and they just got beaten by a better side. Maybe it tames things down a little bit, probably. I do, honestly, I, what I think is that they, nobody's played 80 minutes of full-on rugby. Uh, they played like, uh, you know, team one against team two, most club because everything got cancelled, but you don't really go full-on because you don't want to kill your teammates. Uh, and they played because normally you play 40 minutes of a friendly game. So the teams that played a friendly game, each player played maximum 40 minutes. So you could tell they were all raggedy, what looks like it is the line-out. Just look at the line-outs. The line-outs of every single game were extremely poor. And that's, that's just reglage, uh, like the settings, you know, just getting to, to go through the phases, really. I think there's different layers to it. So after doing that game up in Paris for, for Canal Plus, I had breakfast with Francois Tranduc. And he was just saying, look, from a psychology perspective, the first game of the year, he has always hated playing at home because nobody's prepared, nobody's ready. So it's good just to get away from home. There's no pressure and try and try and nick a result. And you add into that, you know, it's a psychology aspect for like French guys and, and anybody really, but you then add on that, look, nobody's prepared physically. Nobody's in good condition. You saw the players, nobody's ready, really. All the games have been canceled. They've had some training games 
between themselves, but that's been it. So they're not prepared physically. Again, lineouts were shambles. Discipline in every single game. You could tell people's heads weren't right. Like Toulon, La Rochelle, there was 30 penalties. Clermont against Toulouse, two red cards, a yellow card. Like it was a bit of a shambles. So I think, I mean, but great for those teams to nicker us all away from home. But I think, you know, as the, as the weeks go on and things start to get refined and processes become better, um, you'll see that quality and, and the cream starts to rise to the top again. You mentioned the word shambles there, Johnny. Uh, Montpellier and Pau got the season underway on Friday night. The lights went out, didn't they? Yeah. <laughs> um, so I caught some of it on Canal. And they, they were joking that, that Moed Altrad had forgotten to pay the EDF bill. And uh, that's why the, the lights had gone out. But again, they just, I don't know, it started with that. Then the ref had the worst man bun I've ever seen. <laughs> it, was, it was comical to, to, kick off the, to kick off the season with that game. And then Montpellier just strangely didn't get out the blocks, looked really straight up and down, didn't look inventive. Scrum really struggled, uh, really, really struggled. And ended up Danny Brennan, Trevor Brennan's son came off the bench to try and shore things up. Um, that was his first game, I think, since the first game of last season. Um, so again, another huge French potential talent coming through. But just they didn't get going. They, they could not get going. They had Timu and Kamara, their back row were on fire. They were amazing. But apart from that, they just kind of looked a bit turgid, a, a bit kind of stuck in their blocks and didn't manage to get going. So a huge result for Poe. That was the first time I think Montpellier had lost at home in 18 months, which shows how big a result that was. Um, and for a team that really struggled last season in Poe, that's a huge result to get first game up, definitely. And you mentioned a prop there in uh, Daniel Brennan. One that wasn't on the pitch was Mohamed Hawass, and he's been in a bit of uh, trouble this week. So, I mean, do we know anything around what that was about and, and what what's happening to him? So I've caught wind that potentially there was some sort of altercation between him and a coach, potentially. So he's been disciplined. They've, they've fined him. They've taken away his prime éthique, Benji. So the ethical part of your salary you get for being a good egg and abiding by the laws of the club. So that's been taken away from him for, I think, quite a few months. Also murmurs that they might be trying to get rid of him now um, and that thinks he's a troublemaker. Also Guillemont, the big uh, the big tight head as well that was previously at Toulouse, Lyon, Oyonnax potentially looking at the two of them jumping ship and they're trying to get somebody else in because they've only really got Chile Chava as their first choice tight head and after that looking a bit thin so not a great start for Big Momo you tell me what you think Johnny but I don't I don't think they'll they'll get rid of him unless what we don't know it was really really problematic what happened during the week what might happen is that he must also get sanctioned from the FFR because Fabien Geltier was very adamant about um, outstanding behaviors um, you know higher standards for internationals uh, zero tolerance policy blah blah blah, blah. and remember he he already punched a guy during the Six Nations in Scotland uh, a little bit out of nowhere it, they obviously triggered it don't get me wrong but it was wasn't an absolute, a huge, you know, physical comeback that led to that. So he's already sort of walking on edge. He already had his joker, if you know what I mean. They already let him off the hook once. So I think that one, that one, he might he might pay for a while. Do you remember he got in that punch up with Bismarck Duplessis as well? So with Bismarck Duplessis in the warm up before he got on the pitch, I think last. Yes, season, but everybody before. said that Bismarck deserved it, and the oh, whole there, there you go. squad was sort of <laughs> cheering. They were sort of cheering. Go on. Just go for it. No, everybody was pissed off because he didn't actually drop him completely. But that's that's a different story. So not a great start for uh, Philippe Saint-André. But also there, there's a bit of talk about uh, Xavier Garbajosa's future as well, isn't there? Little murmurs. Again, just things from people in around the club, a few things in press. But, you know, he's two years into a four-year contract. Um, but then what Altrad has paid people out of contracts before. It's not something he's shy of. So, you know, obviously disappointing to start that first game and lose at home. And if it isn't turned around fairly quickly, um, you might be getting hauled into old Moed's office sooner rather than later. 
And you mentioned um, Benjamin Rassing's win away at Leon being a bit of a surprise. Any other results that stood out for you? Well, um, Agen losing at home the first game, I think, to Castres. Um, French rugby is, like like Johnny said, is, is, is very tough for the first week leg, okay? But usually going in Agen is a tough old place. Um, they had that winger that signed from Quinn's, no, Ibi Toye, I think that's what his name is. Who, so they had some really solid, solid signings. Camille Girondeau, number eight, that played with me, the big big curly hair from, from Clermont, GM Butin also from Clermont, but also from Lyon. Just I thought they looked solid and good. And to lose at home when, you know, they were, they were 300% commitment to it because that's what they play. They play the home games. And again, to go back on, on, on the Clermont-Toulouse game, Toulouse put a strong team out. They put a strong team out. Clermont put obviously their best team out, but they had a few injuries during during the during the week that that weakened them, especially in the in the forwards. And there was a strong call to put Morgan Parra on the bench and to put Sebastian Bigi. That's going to be like the little story within the team for the whole for for the whole year. And they started off really well. They were completely dominant and they were just killing it to the point where Joe Tecori elbows a guy out of a silly reflex and gets a red. So you're thinking they're going to go through this, and then Toulouse. We're actually getting angry and angrier. This new rivalry that's basically that used to be Clermont-Toulon seems to be shifting a little bit to Clermont-Toulouse. And, and you could tell there was some real anger from Hugo Mola even on the ben, on the side. Um, don't know if you, what you thought, Johnny, but I, I don't like his attitude. <laughs> I don't like it at all, but I'm biased. But, but he, you could tell he was getting angry. It was very, very personal. And then gradually, Toulouse did precisely what pisses me off, but they're very, very good at is just just to, they want to go out, either they can get smashed or they just try something and usually it wins. If you know what I mean? They're very risky. They're, they're, they, they just take a chance, take a risk and it paid off. And you know, there's nothing worse than when it's, the two men down, you're 15 on 13 because they got a red card and a yellow and then you can see the try. And then they get another red. You're like, oh, they're dead meat. And they, they put another try. They were actually ahead. Like eight minutes to go, they were ahead. George Morata decided to take everybody on his back and just like bump off a few guys and, and, and score, fair enough. But it's one of them. Imagine if you fast forward, you're in the change rooms. Clermont were like, yeah, great. We got the win, blah, blah, blah. but boys, I mean, come on. Two red cards, two massive, and it's two big locks as well. So the physical power. Uh, we need to control this better. It's going to be a thought of does Morgan Parra need to start now because he can control the games and busy come over. Huh? And on the other hand, in Toulouse, if I'm the coach, I'm like, boys, you guys stood up, two men down, you come back with a, med, uh, with a defensive um, bonus point. Well done. You know, it's almost like a win. Yeah, I thought the game was mental. So completely dominant by Clermont in the first half. Toulouse did not look, look like they could be bothered, being completely honest. And then almost looked like it took the two red cards to get them fired up. But at the same time, if I'm in a team, any team that's coming to Clermont and I lose my two second rows and I'm 15 against 13, I'm expecting to concede 60 points. And so what I was disappointed with was how Clermont really failed to take any control of the game. Cami Lopez, obviously one of your, your buddies, he got, he got player of the week in Mid-Olympique for the first round. And I was like, how? Like individually, yes. But at the same time, your nine and 10 are meant to control the game. Toulouse should have lost that game by 60 points. But strangely, from that lack of control, Coupled with a complete lack of discipline, they gave away something like 20 penalties again for stupid things. They gave away field position and then they could not defend them all. It was the strangest thing. They competed for everything in the air. They had a, obviously had a numerical advantage. There were two men up and Toulouse absolutely pumped them at Mall. So Clermont obviously now going to Bayonne next week. I know the coaches there, I know Yannick Brew, I know Joel Ray. I know that they will say, look, Clermont have really, really struggled to defend this Mall. We're going to attack them there. And it was inc- I've never seen that from Clermont at home, not defending a mall like that and, and, and going back at the rate of knots they did against two men less. It was incredible. And again, the end of the game, Intermac has that try disallowed. 
it shouldn't be disallowed. I thought personally Toulouse should have won that game. A strange decision by the referee. But I also admired the decision by Intermac at the end. Instead of going for a draw and taking two points. Yeah, they went for the win. They hadn't won there. I think you can correct me. Something like 12 or 15 years and they went to try and make some history. So really brave performance, really big fight, showed decent spirit, which we know is hugely important in France. And Toulouse will take great heart from it. It's obviously going to be difficult for them we don't know if they're going to lose those two guys for Champions Cup and they have to back up in top 14 with, with limited resource in the second row. But hugely spirited performance. They can be really chuffed. Claremont will just be happy to take the four points and move on. Zap it, forget, and move on. Let's have a very quick look ahead to round two now this weekend. A couple of the big games. Toulouse host La Rochelle. Racing host Montpellier. What are you looking forward to in particular? Well, hopefully there's not, not going to be any postponed games. Firstly, we also had the vice president of the FFR come out and said, look, there's not going to be any cancellation of any games it's just everything is going to be pushed back so we now know there's going to be no name no games cancelled but there's a lot of teams that now are in a trickier situation there's teams that have had no games in the first round haven't had any preparation so teams like Bordeaux for instance at home to breathe they need a win they haven't played in three weeks they haven't played any preparation I don't think it's going to be tough gig so they have to get on if Christophe Urios is going to back up from last year with that Bordeaux side and lead this top 14 again, they have to win. Again, looking down the fixture list, you've obviously got Racing, Racing Metro, you've got Toulouse, and you've got Clermont have to then back up again the week after in Champions Cup. So squeaky bum time for them, again, playing a mixed bag, some of them at home, some away, and it's going to be difficult. They're going to have to shift their teams around and try and get home wins, especially for Racing and for Toulouse playing at home before they then have to back up and play in the Champions Cup the week after. So some tricky fixtures for them to get through. Yeah, I think the big one is the Champions Cup though in, in the following week, exactly like you said. So what I'm looking forward to is obviously, like just like Johnny said, no no postponed or no cancelled games. Um, but what I'm looking forward to is the lineups. I want to see if the guys are actually going to go full on, what's the strategy of the coach is going to be. If you're the racing coach, so you won in, in Lyon, of, of course they went for the win, but it's a great result for them. But then you're going to play uh, Clermont in Clermont uh, in Champions Cup after. You can't afford to lose any players. Yes, but you can't afford to lose at home either. And Montpellier, who have lost at home, are going to get bollocked all week and are going to be fired up. So, you know, it's all that. That thing is, do you concentrate on yourself or do you look at the others? Uh, it's all, it's, I should have asked Steph on that. It was one of the things that Mathieu Bastaro, his absolute lookalike, basically told me, is that Toulon never even bothered, never, ever bothered looking at opposition. He said to me, and it's sort of, it was almost like a mental thing. Like we spend hours with Clermont trying to dissect, you know, and know who you've got in front of you. Maybe too much. And maybe it plays in the psychology to be like, oh, come on, you, can't we not just back ourselves? And, and apparently Bernard Porte was very good at He's like, don't bother looking at the others. Just be, you be 100%. Nobody can touch us. And then even bother looking at anybody else. So that's the type of psychology I'm going to look at this week in the lineups. Toulouse, I've got La Rochelle did really well, I have to say, against Toulon. So they're going to be hot and they're not playing Champions Cup quarters. So how are Toulouse going to do that one? No, it's, it's, it's a tough one. And again, against what we saw in the first round, like I've marked down not everyone I think is going to win or lose. Like I've got Poe to win at home against Agen, Racing to back up and win again against Montpellier, Toulouse to win at home against La Rochelle, Bayonne to beat Clermont, Bordeaux to beat Brive. Cast to beat Stade Francais and Toulon to beat Lyon. So I've got everybody this week. I'm backing everyone to win at home. There you go. There's your accumulator. Everyone will be back in them now, Tony. <laughs> you agree with that, Benjamin? Apart from Bayonne winning at home against Clermont, you've got it 100% right. There you go. You heard it here first. Thanks, Johnny. Thanks, Benji. A massive thanks to Stefan as well. And thanks to all of you for listening. Uh, don't forget to hit subscribe on whatever platform you get your podcasts on. Leave us a nice review as well. Check us out on YouTube. And we'll be back with another episode next week. Au revoir, guys. See you soon, guys. Ciao. Father.